Hi, everybody, and welcome to the NDSC podcast, a place where management faculty and PhD students share about their journeys and stories in academia. Before we start our next episode, I want to thank Babson College, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and the Kaufman Foundation, right? I think these three organizations were fundamental in supporting, particularly doctoral students, right? I, I was able to be there uh, for this conference, participate in all the activities, but also record this podcast, these interviews, thanks to the support, uh, the teams in each one of these organizations that did a lot of work, right? And sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes uh, maybe we just see the logo, right? But uh, there's, I think, a lot of work and intentionality behind it. So big thanks again, Babson College, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and the Kaufman Foundation for your support. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to this new episode. And I'm here with Lily Crosina. Um, I asked, she's, she's part of the doctoral consortium. Uh, she has a session on research translation. It was amazing yesterday. And I asked her if, if she wanted to join the podcast. She said yes. Thanks for being here with me, Lily. Welcome. It's good to be here with you, Jose. So uh, what I do here is, again, I try to ask faculty and other PhD students to just share some insights and advice uh, from their career, from their journey with maybe early PhD students or students or, or people that is considering getting a PhD in management. Uh, but the first thing that I always do is kind of like, before getting to know a little bit about your academic story or journey, I want to know more about you, right? And who's Lily? So if you could share something, nothing related to the university, to your academic career, maybe a hobby, something that you're really passionate about that has nothing to do with research or university or anything. Sure. Um, thank you, Jose. I'm a pretty active person. Um, I love to swim. I love to run. I love to bike. I love the outdoors. I ski. I love to go on hikes. So I like nature and like being in nature. So those, are, I would say, are some of the uh, some of my hobbies. Nice. Um, by any chance, uh, are you a triathlete? Like, have you done triathlons or something I like wish. that? I wish. Not, okay. not quite as good a, okay. a, a cyclist okay, uh, okay. to be a triathlete. I, I, I did a couple on, on my past and I hated the bike too. It was the <laughs> hardest part. The, the swimming, I was perfect. Running, fine. The bike was the tough part yeah. for me. Um, but that's awesome. Um, so now going more a little bit into your story, right? And can you share a little bit of what brought you to this career and maybe what's your story before getting into a PhD, getting into academia and why, what was kind of like that decision process of like, this is what I want to do. Thank you for asking. Prior to academia, I worked for some time in both the for-profit and not-for-profit sector. One of the work experiences that I think shape how I do my work today still is um, I, I spent some time in investment banking. That was my very first job out of school. Um, I learned a lot of uh, what it means to, to work pretty hard and mm -hmm. discipline. And, and I had a lot of curiosities uh, as a result of my being embedded in a company that no longer exists. This particular company was Lehman Brothers. When Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy, I had an opportunity to think about what I wanted to do next. Um, and I decided that I was going to take 
some time to figure out my next step. So I pursued an MBA and then decided that I really wanted to be a student for the rest of my life, which is why I went into academia. Nice. And what was maybe, so you were doing your MBA, right? And what was maybe that process in the MBA that said, well, actually, because the MBA is very practice oriented, right? If you're getting an MBA, it's, you're going back to consulting, to a bank or something. What happened? What shifted there, maybe? Toward the end of my MBA, I had the opportunity to shadow a few professors um, and, and teach some of their own classes, as well as do a little bit of research with them. Um, it wasn't—they weren't big projects; it were small research projects, and I had a lot of joy um, in doing this kind of work, mm -hmm. which is uh, one of the reasons why. I started thinking, how could I do this more fully? How could mm. I be in the classroom more? And how could I do a lot more research? And the answer to that was pursue a PhD <laughs> and become an academic. And that's what I did. Nice. So now, uh, now that you finish your PhD, you're a professor, what do you think is the most fulfilling or the best thing about this job, about this career? I think it's the unique, for me, is the unique opportunity to be a student for life and learn from the people around us. Um, in my research context, I take a lot of, uh, I have a lot of satisfaction and joy in learning why people do what they do, how do they do it? And especially studying entrepreneurs who are often pursuing high risk, high rewards opportunities and work really hard toward achieving them, motivated by passion, desire, and all sorts of other reasons as well. I find very satisfying learning about other people. I'm very curious, generally speaking, and so this is a job that um, fits those needs and, and, and sort of my, my, my desires and ambitions to, to continue to learn from others. Nice. Yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, that, that curiosity element re really resonated with me. I think it's, it's maybe part of what uh, got us here. Uh, so the other side of the comment, right? You, you talked about the best thing or the most fulfilling, but what's, what are some of the biggest challenges that you think are part of this job and there's no get away from them? <laughs> I, I think one of the big challenge, one of the big challenges is facing and dealing with ongoing rejection and constant evaluation from your own students in a classroom, from reviewers, editors, and others. We're constantly, so it feels on occasion, under the microscope. Mm -hmm. um, and so, especially when things don't work the way we had hoped, which happens for everyone in, in, in this career, you have to find ways to decide to, to sort of keep going, mm -hmm. remain energized, stay focused. And sometimes that can be really grueling and challenging. Yeah. So do you have any maybe like coping mechanism or advice you have maybe when you're going through a rejection or reading hard evaluations. Although I saw you yesterday in the session and you have an amazing control of the crowd, of the room. I think you're a great teacher. So I would be amazed if you have bad teaching evaluations, but when you, maybe in the past or maybe when you were learning the trade, like they had something that kind of like help you deal with the rejection. Yeah. I think surrounding yourselves by other trusted people that do this job with a great deal of seriousness um, is really helpful because people that are craftsmen and craftswomen um, mm -hmm. will know what good craft is and will know, will know what good craft entails and will know how to provide advice and support. 
And so being surrounded by other people that do similar work or that understand the kind of work that you do and, and being able to rely on them for advice is very important. Um, whether it's your primary mentor, you know, your PhD advisor or other people in your school or other schools potentially. Um, I think having, having a little bit of a, of a group of others, a writing group members, can be really, really helpful in turning what on the face of it might seem a face back into an asset, into feedback that can be in a manuscript incorporated to make it even better. But to see it that way, one needs to be in the right mind frame. Mm -hmm. And when rejection is ongoing, potentially that mindset is not as positive. Yeah. And so finding ways to turn a negative mindset into a positive mindset is, is really important. And it happens in different ways for different people. Surrounding yourself by wonderful others is really a great way to do it. So I think that kind of like, uh, is a great leeway to the next question. So with uh, thinking about uh, that kind of like support network, those people that you might surround yourself for advice, what's maybe the best advice you receive, uh, maybe for your personal career or specific for like your academic career, right? I think I've gotten a lot of really incredible advice, but there, there are two things that rise to the fore when I think about how I, how I could answer that question. And the advice is, is, is the following, focus on the work and celebrate the process. Mm. Don't get distracted into other things that are not the work. Do the work and celebrate the process, which means in practice, celebrate a submission. Don't wait until that paper is published. Well, it might take 10 years um, before that <laughs> happens. But celebrate a revision. Yeah. Celebrate a good resubmission. Celebrate a first submission because a lot of work went into it. Yes. Um, especially if it's thoughtful work. Yeah, that's great. I'm actually going through the revision and you, I, I should celebrate it because I was in your mind like, oh my God, so much work. But as you said, yeah, I love that one. That's great. Um, similar or related to that, like what's maybe a resource that you know about that has been helpful? Maybe it's currently something that you use, you, le you lean on, or what's helpful when you were doing your PhD or in your early years as an assistant professor? Uh, yeah. Again, there's so many. Just one that, again, I'm, I'm thinking about is the Academy of Management Annals. It's a great journal. They provide some amazing reviews of the literature with a spin. Um, but if you're new to a theoretical conversation and you want to know where have things gone, how they are evolving, why they're evolving, granted, there's always a spin associated with the review piece, but um, it's just a fantastic outlet to, to, get a, to get a pretty good sense of where's the conversation been, where is it going, and how am I even consider entering it. I love it. That's nice. I love that. And, well, I'll talk later because my only publication is in the Academy of Management Annals. So, <laughs> so and this was not planned, so I'm like, oh, my God, right? <laughs> so and this is great. And, but, yeah, I, I, I really I, I agree with you 100%. Now that I know more about the Annals, I go to it a lot, kind of like in that sense. Um, okay, so last question. And this, this, this last question, I usually tailor it more uh, to the person I'm talking with. Um, yesterday, we had this, your session with, with Zach on research translations, right? And I think, especially if you're getting a management PhD in a good institution, it's going to be very, very research-oriented. These very traditional academic outlets, right, about developing theory or contributing to theory, and that maybe it's a little bit far away from the practical world, right? But uh, yesterday you talked about how you can maybe close the gap, 
right? So maybe can you share a little bit about your experience working with research translation, how you started like getting into that, right? When that idea came of, hey, let's actually try to get one of my papers that it's published now into a research translation and maybe some advice for students or people that want to learn a little bit more about that. So thank you for asking that. Um, first, I'd like to say, I do believe that good theory can be very practical. In fact, mm. really good theory is very practical mm -hmm. or can be very practical. Um, I personally, um, I started translating some of my own research into practice um, for, a for a number of different reasons. One, um, as a way to sort of complement my academic, my own academic research. So I, I, I generally, if, if and when I, I write for practitioners, I tend to write after I have written um, a piece for academic. Mm -hmm. So as a way to sort of complement, perhaps even sort of magnify the impact of that particular academic piece. So kind of like as an idea megaphone uh, tool. I use also the shorter pieces as a way to test possible co-author relationships, as a way to sort of write together something that will not take nearly as long as an academic paper to compose, but it's a good way to see, could we write together? Could we become a team? I also use this research translation pieces as a way to build connections with my informants, people that I may want to uh, tap back into and, and reach back out to because they do not have the time to read um, very lengthy academic papers, but they might be interested in picking up a nugget or two from those very articles. And so um, they're a very, very nice way to be able to engage and to show them, here's the kind of thing I'm doing and mm -hmm. here's where I'm hoping what we're gonna do together uh, leads us to down the road. So while my focus remains doing high-impact academic research, um, I do this piece as compliments. Mm -hmm. uh, again, idea megaphones, testing connections with potential other co-authors or rapport building uh, tools with, with informants and even colleagues who may or not be on a tenure track position. Yeah, which I want to highlight yesterday that you were talking about it and you see it more like a strategic integration I feel like it's phenomenal, right? Because sometimes, uh, at least uh, this is my own experience, right? you, you think that everything you're doing that it's not academic research is taking out of it. But the way you presented it, it's a really great compliment and actually builds upon uh, your whole pipeline, I would say. So I think that's, that's amazing and I love that. And I think the focus, at least for me, for others it might be different, is on the academic research. But sometimes one needs a break from a certain yes. way of writing. And it could be a way to get de-stuck when you're stuck on something else. I love writing and writing for practitioners is different than writing for academics. And it just primes a different level of sort of thinking, of thinking about what's the haha in plain mm -hmm. language. Why would it matter? How could it matter to this particular group? And so I, I, finding, I find it freeing. Uh, mm, nice. I wanted, I mean, that was all the questions that I had, but I wanted to ask one more. Um, it's about your methodology. You're, you, I think, or this is my perception, uh, you're a qualitative researcher. I think I look up to your qualitative work. And I think, and I've heard this from other PhD students, sometimes like it's very interesting, but it's hard to kind of get the training, especially maybe if you're not in a maybe department or a school that has that kind of like qualitative heritage or tradition or your advisor or someone you work with, like you, you're not in that apprenticeship one-on-one -on -one relationship, but maybe is there maybe some advice for those students that are interested in qualitative work and maybe don't have 
all the resources available uh, that you would recommend? So first, I believe that there are some short courses on qualitative research that are that are offered and that are accessible to folks from across schools and and um, and I can send you some links and resources mm -hmm. if you want to. Yeah, I can uh, share if, them if if if, if you like. Um, aside from that, um, like anything new, I wouldn't go at it alone the first time. Yeah. So I would. I would think about what are you interested in and could you find somebody at a different school potentially that might be willing to co-author or mentor on a specific project. Um, because in qualitative research, analysis and writing go hand in hand. Design, you know, it, it's all really sort of um, entangled together, mm -hmm. right? The thinking around what, you know, the, the design of the study, the theorizing, the analysis. It's very hard to come on a paper later on in a meaningful way. So for doctoral students interested in it um, who may have access to a really interesting research site or some questions that they'd like to explore, I'd highly recommend trying to find a more experienced scholars with whom to partner and, and try to learn from them in the process as much as possible. This may involve them becoming co-authors, for example, but, but there are ways to do it. And I think once it happens once, yeah. perhaps the second time around might feel a little bit more familiar mm -hmm. and comfortable. Um, so that would be my advice. Yeah, that's great. Well, I don't know if there's anything else uh, you want to share, but I mean, this was amazing. Um, I just want to like also give a, a shout out to Babson for organizing. Lily's a, a professor at Babson, and I think uh, it's amazing that uh, you run this conference, Babson runs this conference. I think it's great. And what you did for us, the doctoral student consortia. And uh, thank you very much, Lily. Thank you for the opportunity.